Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. So, we have uh, been talking a lot lately about um, broadband and economic development, which is all good stuff, and uh, we had a really good show yesterday. Uh, we also, you know, talk about well, what kind of influence does does having one of these networks, uh, you know, have in the community beyond just the economic development, and more importantly, you know, how do you achieve that? And I think one of the re- one of the ways in which communities are able to uh, move forward and make great things happen with broadband is they get a number of champions behind the network. They create a certain level of buzz. They create a certain excitement level about uh, what the technology can do. Not really excitement about, you know, the bits and the, you know, the feeds and this is a gigabit. Yeah, that's cool, but what does that really mean? They really get down to, well, these are the things that will happen once this network is here, and that's what gets people all excited and motivated and become many evangelists in the name of broadband. Uh, one of those places where this is unfolding, this this um, grassroots enthusiasm that will drive what I expect to be great things from the network is happening in San Leandro, California, which is a small little place, relatively speaking, um, on the east side of the San Francisco Bay. And um, and they have this project, um, Lit San Leandro, which uh, we talked about on the show here a few months ago. And that project is starting to make some interesting waves. And so I said, you know, we need to we need to talk more about how that gets done, how that enthusiasm button gets pushed. And so I invited the uh, chief innovation officer, newly appointed to the city of San Leandro, to be our guest today, Deb Acosta. And Deb, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here today. So let's get into this discussion of uh, innovation, excitement, how do you get people to really buy into what's basically a bunch of wire and bits and bytes running through some cables. Uh, Let's talk about the the innovation officer. I think chief innovation officer is what, only two in the U.S. of A.? Well, there's actually within the last, uh, since I was appointed February 4th, and I was the first chief innovation officer in the East Bay. The only other one in the Bay Area is Jay Nath in San Francisco. Of course, San Francisco had the first one. Um, But (laughs) since that time, I've discovered there's been several others have been appointed, including Ashley Hand, who joined the city of Kansas City, related to the Google Fiber, of course, on February Mm -hmm. 4th, the exact same day as I did. So as far as I know, we're the the two only female CIOs in the country. But there's rapidly, people are beginning to understand the difference between a chief um, information officer, which has typically been a CIO and is related strictly to the mechanics of running your hardware and your Internet service, to a chief innovation officer, which is what I and uh, several others around the country are. And it's really about taking a look at your existing assets and saying, what can we do with this that is different, that engages citizens, 
that really, in, not only that, but you take a look at your economics and your community and how can we do this differently and drive this community into the 21st century to become more of the sharing economy that is increasingly what is motivating the United States um, and its economic growth. So what is that exactly? I mean, I understand the the, the difference, but when you look at you know, what your overall charter is, you know, if the average person on the street were to say, you know, well, this person does X, what exactly would X be? Like, what's hmm. what should the city of San Leandro and San Francisco and Kansas City expect a year from now as a result of their, you know, respective cities uh, opening up this new post? Well, it, it, there's no question that when they hired me, I mean, when I took a look at my job description, it very much looked like uh, a position for an economic development professional, um, which is actually different from many of the chief innovation officers, but they clearly wanted me to use the fiber asset as a way of attracting businesses into the city, the kind of businesses that need access to the big pipe, um, data centers, um, advanced manufacturing, media, companies that really can't afford the latency, the, the swirly swirlies that you see on the screen when things are coming in very slow or going out very slowly, uh, businesses that couldn't, can't afford that. But realistically, um, there's a lot more that goes on. A company is definitely looking for the fast Internet connection, but they're looking increasingly for community. Mm -hmm. So I knew that really what my charge was, even though the city didn't know it, my charge was to cultivate a healthy tech and innovation ecosystem. So okay. what, does an, and what does an ecosystem look like? And what are the expectations, what are my personal expectations in that increasingly of the city since I've been there? It's a city that's a walkable community. It's a city that has entertainment and healthy food and dense living, so picture nice condos and apartments, all centered around a transportation center. So that people don't have to get into their cars to do anything, to, to go anywhere and, and do anything that they want to do. So what this really is built off, the concept of, is, is if you think about the Google campuses and the Apple campuses that, that are building, where the idea is that the, the employee really doesn't have to leave the area, doesn't have to leave the campus to get things done, whether it's their dry cleaning, whether it's working out, whether it's going to eat, whether it's even sleeping in some cases. Um, the availability is there in these closed environments to do so. What we want to do is do something that's like that but in an open environment. So. Mm -hmm. People are clustered around the downtown or clustered around one of each. Uh, we have actually two BART stations, Bay Area Rapid Transit, which is our mass transit system here in the Bay Area, um, that the East Bay bought into very early on, thank goodness, because increasingly mm -hmm. our economic development professionals are finding businesses want to be clustered close to transportation. Employees, uh, the millennial generation, they don't actually like to drive. They like to take part. They like to ride their bicycle. So the kind of ecosystem that we're talking about is one that's 
fun to be in. It's you can live close to it. The transportation nodes are easily accessible, so you're not spending the hours on the road that um, in past generations created our suburban centers. It's right here. It's right now. And that ecosystem is incredibly important to start building before you're going to get a tech company to take you seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, let's transition this sort of broad definition of the uh, chief innovation officer and how this is going to you know, impact the communities and San Leandro in particular to talk about uh, broadband because I think that, uh, you know, from everything that I've seen so far and all the conversations we've had, you and I have had before this, um, the, the network, the, the Lit San Leandro project is um, – is going to probably play a key role in what it is that you do, or what you're doing is going to play a key role in how the Let's Stand Leandro project moves forward. I mean, they're kind of symbiotic, I guess. Um, Let's explain that for for folks here in the audience. So the the network itself, at least in this stage, is, is as much symbolic. It's real. Don't get me wrong. It's very real. But it, the the symboli- the symbolism of the partnership that built it, first of all, is really uh, instructive of the kind of community that San Leandro is, which largely was built on immigration from Portugal. Believe it or not, they settled here in this neighborhood and they built this, and it was a very much of a do-it-yourself community. So you didn't hire a, an electrician to fix something that was wrong in your house. You you actually learned how to do it yourself and you fixed it yourself. So out of that came this ethos that since AT&T, and, or I won't I signal out any of the, the incumbents, but since the incumbents really would not provide the Internet speeds that we need uh, in our industrial areas, and San Leandro is largely an industrial city built on manufacturing, um, they would not go they don't typically extend the network into these areas because it's too expensive they don't have enough customers willing to go onto the end of that pipe to pay them for it to make it worth their while so san leandro because of with just accompanied by this do it yourself attitude dr patrick kennedy um several years ago approached the city and uh, dr patrick kennedy is ceo of osi soft which is a very large tech company here in San Leandro that has uh, its Pi software in 110 countries over the world, including um, it it measures data off the Saudi Arabian pipeline, all the way from the oil in the ground to it being shipped into the uh, ships. Mm -hmm. So with that kind of uh, software you need, and you're pulling data from all over the world, you need massive amounts of broadband. You need to be able to pull that down real time. So he made it clear to the city fathers, if I can't get this and AT&T and Comcast are not providing it to me, they won't provide it to me, um, I'm going to have to leave. So motivated by that, this, they came up, Dr. Kennedy pitched to the city, look, 10 years ago you put in your own conduit to run the transportation network around the city. Just give me some room. I'll install 288 fibers. I'll give you 10% of them to do whatever you want to with it. And I will in turn 
commit to you to build an economic development asset for this city that will not only keep me here, but will um, empower existing businesses to enter into the 21st century fiber optic highway and attract other kinds of businesses as well. So there was a real leap of faith on the part of the city um, fathers and mothers and the and, and Dr. Kennedy that you build it and they will come. So at this moment we have an active 11 and a half mile fiber optic network that really circles the city along its major arterials and where a lot of the industrial is. And my, by the way, this is not fiber to the home. This mm -hmm. is commercial connections only. We right. also received, uh, the city applied for an EDA grant uh, successfully and the, we will now be, we're in the process of going through all the hurdles of installing an additional seven and a half miles of conduit in our streets for a total of 18. We don't intend to stop there. We um, have an open trench policy. As development is starting to happen, we're going to be, we're requiring developers to um, lay conduit that we're going to ask them to deed to the city uh, so that we can continue to build out that network and eventually we can anticipate bringing it to the residential units as well. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really been an interesting journey right now of discovery and, and because of the, the whole uniqueness of this partnership, we've gotten a lot of uh, attention out of that. So mm -hmm. while not only that, but when I first got here, so it's not just attention, it's not just the, the press that we've gotten out of it, but it's starting to absolutely, um, it, the, the buildings are starting to be connected. So when I first arrived here in February, we had 300,000 square feet connected and we had, were projecting to connect an additional 1 million square feet by the end of the year. At this moment, we have connected 1.7 million square feet and are projecting to exceed well over 2 million square feet of building square feet connected. So how many businesses is that? That we don't have an accurate track on yet because each building will then connect the businesses inside the buildings themselves. So, mm -hmm. um, but the point is the, the building owners are seeing the value in being connected and they're seeing a complete different, they're seeing a, a very different type of tenant than now taking a look at their at their space. Mm -hmm. So, um, in in the short time that uh, that you guys have been doing this, you have been uh, visited by the SCC chair. You have had a number of community meetings. In fact, I went to one of those to just kind of see what the the dynamic was there. Uh, you've, you've been in talks with other cities that are interested in, in trying to understand what you guys are doing. There's a lot of activity going on, and um, I'd like to get a sense, you know, more from you. You know, what's what kinds of activities are happening that um, you know point a beacon toward you know, uh, innovation that's, that's coming down the road. So there's been. And the and the the point of the, the discussion was so when I say there's been discussions, well, prior to the fiber being here, there were no discussions like the kind that I'm talking about here. So now we're seeing people starting to and and when I say people, I'm saying people who have established businesses outside of San Leandro, starting to look around for co-working space, 
for incubation space, for technology. Um, in particular, there's two areas, there's two uh, very different and unique shopping centers, both shopping centers, but both, but each very separate. One is called Bayfair Shopping Center. It was actually one of the first Macy's on the West Coast was built there, and Macy's continues to be a tenant in that, that space. Um, but it's an 800, 900,000-square-foot shopping center that um, several years ago the owners repurposed, repurposed into big-box retail, which has been very successful on the outside, but has left the inside the more traditional inner, inner um, courtyards of the mall rather empty and um, not tenanted by very high-end folks. The broadband being brought in has allowed them to think about the space very differently. So right now, for example, there's a second floor that's been empty for years, probably a decade, mm -hmm. 50,000 square feet. We're actively courting a San Francisco company who wants to expand into the Bay East Bay because they have a large number of employees here. So that's really key because if you think about the large companies that are located in San Francisco, Facebook, Twitter, Salesforce, uh, Macy's.com, others, there's a potential, they have a huge amount of workforce out here that's not necessarily really happy about having to commute into San Francisco on a daily basis. So increasingly these companies are thinking about, well, what if we opened up a satellite office in the East Bay? So what the fiber allows us to do is it allows us to pitch to these companies in a way that we could never have dared before. Mm -hmm. Come to San Leandro. We're going to give you 10 gigabit fiber, which you're probably not even getting in San Francisco right now, at a much more affordable rate, and there's lots of housing, housing for your employees and great schools, which is not something that San Francisco will ever be accused of. Um, and Silicon Valley, very expensive to live there. So we're offering an alternative to those who are saying we want to be in the Bay Area, we want to be close to that innovation and uh, ecosystem, but we can't afford to be on the other side. What we're doing is we're offering an opportunity to build a brand new ecosystem. So that's Bayfair, the other end of San Leander, is a shopping center called Westgate. Now, Westgate was very interesting because it used to be a Chrysler auto manufacturing plant. I'm talking the kind with big assembly lines and in its day, the in very innovative in itself. Mm -hmm. um, 1950, 63, it closed permanently. The next owners, so we're talking 60-foot ceilings because it was a manufacturing plant, somebody slapped a big concrete floor down the middle of it. The bottom floor has become very successful retail, um, Home Depot, Sports Mart. But the top floor, which is if, awesome, kind of um, concrete, big, tall ceiling, window kind of space that if it was slapped in San Francisco would be automatically the place that everybody would want to be in because it's 350,000 square feet under one roof had kind of fallen on hard times. I mean, manufacturing is not happening that much in the Bay Area right now, especially, yeah, and East Bay, we, that's what we used to do is manufacture. So by pulling the 10 gigabit fiber in, 
suddenly the world is starting to look at us completely differently. Now, we already had some biotech companies in there, um, Tracy McSherry of Face Space with his motion picture capture cameras, um, who has already done work for some major Hollywood companies, um, including the most recent Spider-Man, um, is now other people are now realizing that those kind of companies are in there, and because the 10 Good Fibers, suddenly those existing tenants can crow to the world and all their contacts about, you have to come and see what we're doing. And now we're able to do things that we weren't able to do before because the speed is so amazingly fast. So... With that buzz, um, a week and a half ago, I was able to walk a party of about 12 people through the space that came from um, an experiment that was launched on June 1st, National Day of Hacking, in San Mm -hmm. Francisco. Many of your readers or viewers, um, listeners might have heard of it. It's called Free Space. Right. And Free free Space was an experiment um, launched primarily by um, uh, Michael, Mike Zuckerman of UIX Global in an attempt to see what would happen if you activated a space that was empty. And in this case, it was a 14,000-square-foot long-vacated building in the south of Market on Mission Boulevard. What would happen if you just invited people into it to innovate, to create for free? Well, the... <laughs> The result was a one-month experiment which completely transformed the space, and I really recommend that your listeners go to freespace.io and take a look at what has happened. They're also on Facebook. They've created a community there of innovators. Um, They took blank walls, painted it, created beautiful things on the walls, and created spaces where people could come together and talk and and create solutions for problems the city of San Francisco was involved in it. They were able to raise $25,000 for a second month, which they've successfully done, so they're now recording everything that they've done there. Well, this same group that founded this space walked through Westgate a week and a half ago. With Until the fiber came there, there would never have been any reason to do that. They are absolutely captivated by the space, not the least of which is is a great space. It's got the 10-gig fiber, which they didn't have the speed in San Francisco. Finally, they admitted to us it sucked. They couldn't get anything. So now we've introduced a whole different element of creativity into it. Oh, and by the way, in San Francisco, this space would have been 4 to $6 a square foot per month. In San Leandro, it's 85 cents, and it's extremely close to BART. So we're located between Silicon Valley, San Francisco. Oh, my gosh, it's affordable. They've got this whole community that's welcoming us with open arms. Something's happening here. Something's radical is really happening in this space, and we want to be part of it. So it's quite like, so we're in discussions with them about taking the free space experience and bringing it into San Leandro. And, again, these are innovators who are testing their ideas to become, many of them, translating that into businesses. Excuse me. Now, you, you said it was freespace.io? Yes. Okay. And so looking at this whole 
<coughs> this whole slew of activity, um, how much of this kind of stuff can be planned and how much of it is just stuff that happens and it grows? Nothing just happens. That's what I've discovered. I mean, one of the things that they I remember they were t- asking me when I was talking about interviewing for the job as well, well how do you make things happen one of the it's never an accident you have to be you have to be visible and present so without us being engaged in these other communities without me going into those communities whether it's the Berkeley startup cluster dinner or whether it's going to attend a um conversation at free space about how you create um uh, innovation ecosystems, wherever it is, you're, you have to be out there connecting with people, and at the, and then at that point, planning events that bring them into your space. So first, it's a foray into their space. Then it's creating something fun and interesting and inviting them into your space. So very seldom do I believe um, do things just happen. There's usually a tipping point. Something little seeds are sprinkled. And it either catches on or it doesn't. I mean, why, for heaven's sakes, is Redlands, Washington, the, the if you take a look on the map, uh, the largest concentration of tech workers is not in the Bay Area. It's actually up in Redlands. Because a little company called um, Microsoft, their founders decided to move up there. So it became it, it became a center for technology because all the companies that wanted to cluster around that. So... Things don't just happen. They they actually happen in in a little bit more purposeful way than that. But all communities need to look for, as you and I, Craig, have talked about that one thing mm-hmm. that that sets you apart and and can differentiate your what you're offering from all those around you. Um, for us right now, it's not only is it the fast fiber, but it's our location. We're adjacent to Oakland International Airport. Heck, we're closer to Oakland International Airport than Oakland is. Because mm. it's, it's isolated <laughs> it's from it. the corner. It, it is. It's up in that, that corner. Um, and we're between San Francisco and Silicon Valley, and we can actually get to Palo Alto faster from San Leandro than you can from Oakland and many other cities along the East Bay. So there's a number of different... Plus, we have a very well-educated community here. Um, the one thing, and, and lovely houses, but we're also, and we're also a city that was built on an older model where the residential was very much kept separate from the commercial. Mm-hmm. That's so, no longer the model that works. Mm-hmm. So now, <clears throat> this same level of interest and excitement uh, appears to be spilling over to uh, surrounding communities as well. I mean, again, based on obviously, you know, you, you and I have talked a lot, but we're also doing this uh, workshop on on Friday this week, which is bringing together. I think up right now we're about up to uh, ten different communities from the the area from the, from this general East Bay area. And I gather that these folks are looking at uh, San Leandro, and they're also looking at Kansas City and Chattanooga. And 
I think they would see that maybe, you know, it, it's a real possibility. It's like within their grasp that they can have the same kind of technology, uh, you know, in places like uh, Haywood and Brentwood and Berkeley and, and so forth. Is that is that a fair assessment? Well, they're absolutely beginning to realize, even if they don't know exactly what it is yet, there's a sense, a growing sense that if we're not asking questions about it, we're probably going to regret this in a few months, um, Mm -hmm. let alone years. So absolutely. And San Leandro has actually been, we've been very unique about um, our positioning of the Lit San Leandro Fiber Optic Network. Um, We're not coveting it as something that is okay, only we can have this and we don't want to share this with anybody. We're actually saying, you know what? Here in the East Bay, we have traditionally been a manufacturing um, set of cities because of our, we once were in a community. Um, Increasingly, we became a bedroom community to San Francisco, but manufacturing, food manufacturing, other kinds of manufacturing, Um, those jobs went away. What are we going to do here in the East Bay when we grow up? Because clearly we can't just build our economic development. We can't build economically on warehouses, which is a lot of what our industrial um, uh, buildings have turned into. So what can we do that's different? And we see in San Leandro that we're part of the larger community, that as Oakland goes, as Union City goes, we, we, we can either reap success off their success or we will not be quite as successful if they are not as successful because we're all interconnected. And nothing more so illustrates that than the 21st century fiber optic highway. We're literally all connected. So it's in our best interest that everybody take a look at their own assets and say, how can I do this? If the public-private partnership is the model, and here in California, we're pretty darn sure that Google's not going to come here and bring their gifts to our city, because they've made that pretty clear. What can we do to replicate that model in a different way? So Mm -hmm. that's why we're just delighted, Craig, that uh, we're going to have this workshop with you at our San Leandro Library, the fastest library in in, in California. Say that (laughs) with a lot of confidence um, Mm -hmm. because it's connected to our San Leandro fiber optic loop um, on on Friday and inviting these 10 cities and their communities. So it's awesome because we're having economic development people coming from these cities, community people, IT directors, all coming together to collaborate in something that often doesn't happen even in their own cities. But we're bringing them together in one space so they can learn from each other, learn from San Leandro, learn from Craig, uh, best models around the country, and begin to think about how they're going to do this in their own city. Now, we, of course, in San Leandro, because we have Dr. Kennedy, who never thinks small about anything, um, his vision is actually a Bay Area-wide fiber optic network that connects all of us via this fast fiber. So his aspirations are actually to build this network, and he's already starting to do that 
um, by through connections with a couple of co-working spaces in Berkeley, um, and I believe that an announcement is probably coming out shortly about connections to Hayward, the city of Hayward right next door to us. So mm-hmm. these are cities that are not typically connected with technology. Berkeley somewhat because of the universities. But we want to change the conversation about the East Bay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it seems like, you know, if you look at the area, this is not a rural area. I mean, there are parts, the more uh, the more east that you go and more and north as you go, <clears throat> where it does indeed become rural. But I think that, uh, you know, I, I brought this up earlier or last week. Uh, you know, I had some folks on from, from Harlem in, in New York. And, you know, bringing up the fact that the broadband discussion is heavily weighted toward rural communities and what their needs are and what their possibilities are. And I think the downside of that is the urban areas, you know, uh, towns, you know, connected to, next to, in the shadow of big places like San Francisco and Oakland uh, are not rural, but they are very much in need. And that this uh, Lit San Leandro project points to that fact that, you know, counter to what you would assume based on, you know, amount of media coverage that goes to uh, rural versus urban, there is a very strong need for better, faster broadband. And I'd like to kind of get your perspective because you have worked in Oakland, you're currently working in San Leandro, and you've met with lots of folks from this East Bay area. Uh, there is no question about that. It, it, it seems as if uh, I know that when Oakland, I was part of the Oakland team several years ago, and we applied for the BTOP grant, the Broadband Technology Opportunity Program, um, under the stimulus grants. The, the focus was uh, rural areas, getting rural areas connected. But we're looking around our area, which is definitely not considered rural. I mean, we touch the bay, literally, our our city goes all the way up and touches the 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 bay so they're not the the washington's not thinking about it but the fact is that because we're a highly industrial city so picture um buildings on three and a half acre ten acre sites this is not attractive to the incumbents the incumbents will they have to pay uh, $150,000 to get a building connected, and then they've got one tenant who maybe pays a couple of thousand dollars a month, uh, if that, for their internet connection, which, by the way, will invariably suck, maybe 10, gig- 10 megabits per second, maybe Comcast 25 megabits per second. But if you have any kind of uh, n- number of employees, it's not going to work. And certainly if you you need big data for uh, access to, to big broadband for any other reason, it's not going to be enough. But you're going to pay a lot of money for it. And and then ultimately they're just going to tell you, no, we're not going to do it. So what do cities do in the shadow of San Francisco and Palo Alto if they don't have access? You do as San San Lander was doing. It It was okay. The city is not broke, but it wasn't going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. People who live here from other communities, and they shop here from other communities, but they don't work in the city. And that's a problem in terms of the current sustainable environment where you build communities where you live, work, and play. If everybody's getting into their cars to go someplace else to go to work, 
you get the condition of the freeways that we have here. And then the pollution and the asthmatic children and older adults. So it's all interconnected. Um, we need the fast. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think, right, that you could re-envision your entire city because of one asset. But in fact, the fiber optic network is to the 21st century as um, having indoor plumbing and electricity was to the 19th century or the 20th mm-hmm. century. Mm-hmm. We've got to have it. We've we got to have it. Right. And if we did, so, so that, I can't stress enough how important this is. And for, for the government, for the FCC, I mean, when uh, Julius Janikowski came out here in February to celebrate it, it's because he understood that the importance of this kind of public-private partnership to serve cities who ordinarily are not even thought of by Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So it was great to get <laughs> that kind of recognition. Right, and I think it's definitely good that it brings, you know, that projects like Lit San Leandro bring this point to the to the foreground, because otherwise I think it just gets it gets lost. Another thing that's interesting is that, um, you know, for those folks aren't who aren't familiar with the Bay Area, you know, we pretty much, you know, the East Bay is a collection of towns anywhere from I'm guessing 15 to 30,000, 50,000 people that are physically connected. I mean, they're basically, you can you can drive and literally cross the street and you're going from, uh, you know, Oakland to San Leandro or Oakland to Berkeley. And so there yep. is natural closeness of the, you know, geographically of these different communities. And I think one of the things that lends itself to is the regional uh, approach. You know, I was, I was speaking with um, one of the, uh, staff from RUS a couple of weeks ago in in Pittsburgh, and we were talking about the fact that um, you know a town, whether it's in the middle of the Midwest, you know Iowa by itself, uh, or 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 anywhere else, a town of of twenty five thousand people has a certain you know attractiveness to it as far as someone where that a government agency will look at giving a grant to. However. If you get 10 or you get 15 or 20 of these communities together, it creates a stronger case for the grant writer. I would contend that in this urban setting where you have, you know, all of these communities, Hayward and Berkeley and, and, and on and on, that they collectively represent maybe a, a, a juicier target for government grants at the federal level, but also they present a greater uh, attractiveness to private sector companies. And when I say private sector companies, they may not necessarily be the AT&Ts or the Comcast, but companies such as OSIsoft, companies that may not even be traditional technology companies that would say, here's an opportunity to invest because uh, monetarily, you know, these businesses are together. When we when we put the region together, they make the viable candidate for uh, for investment, for resources, for you know, relocating businesses and that kind of thing. Well, that's, that's what we're that's counting unfair. on. No, that's right. that's what we're counting on, and it's interesting because I think you're right. Even the federal government recognized that um, they actually granted that large last stimulus grant to a project that was public-private partnership between Motorola 
and a number of counties around the Bay Area, literally around the barrier, to, to, care, to create a wireless um, <clears throat> emergency system that all the sheriffs and all the, all the public safety organizations and sheriff departments and police departments and fire departments around the Bay Area could actually um, be able to communicate with each other seamlessly. That hasn't quite happened yet, but they got that. But the point was it was a larger three-county-wide effort that actually got the grant. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would, uh, what I would, and I think you're right, I think that as we move forward and San Leandro really wants to take a, a leadership position in terms of creating these collaborations with other cities, um, that would be really intentional for us to be able to collaborate to go after grants that would really focus on building out that infrastructure. And mm-hmm. we are certainly counting on it that companies and corporations <coughs> are taking notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, that we're, that, uh, and that they could actually, a company can grow within this region. So if they can incubate in Berkeley, perhaps, but then they start, they grow up, if they're a tech software company, maybe they come to Oakland or, or, or San Leandro rather than going to San Francisco. Right, or 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 Silicon Valley. You know, I mean, there's that's always right. been the the mecca. Even if you were a startup in Berkeley, you sort of had these dreams of rolling down to the valley, and the valley made sense because everything was there. Uh, you know, your venture capitalists were there, and all kinds of consultants were there, and there was an ecostructure of other entrepreneurs and and all of yep. that. And it is ironic that in at this stage, there is no gigabit network down there. And which is why when, you know, when I talked about, you know, you being on the show, you know, things that we should talk about, you know, one of those is can, you know, is there the right collection of, you know, resources and companies and people and colleges and all of that to where if you add the ingredient, you know, called called gigabit connectivity, is this area capable of creating the next Silicon Valley? Um, it will be different from Silicon Valley. I am very firmly, I very firmly believe that because of our history as makers, so we made things in the East Bay. Um, whether it was Oakland starting with after World War II or during World War II with shipbuilding here in San Leandro, with food manufacturing, a Chrysler plant. We continue to have Ghirardelli chocolates here. Believe it or not, Ghirardelli, hello, everybody across the country, made here in <laughs> San Leandro. Um, uh, companies like that that still manufacture here. So I think what you're going to have is not so much the next Silicon Valley as the new um the new whatever we are, the new East Bay uh, collaboration that takes Silicon Valley to a whole nother level because we're makers. So if you tie the technology, and, and, and the, the best evidence of this is 3D printing. So it's a, it's a, uh, for those of you who have not, are not aware of what can happen with 3D printers, that literally you can, through an, an inventor can can by using software tools like AutoCAD. So there's where the Silicon Valley and San Francisco comes in handy. The software, through using that software, you can build a design 
and then literally program a 3D printer, and it will literally, before your eyes, and I think they can use up to 30 different kinds of materials from plastic to metals, will create the thing that you are prototyping within a matter of minutes or days. Instead mm-hmm. of waiting weeks for that prototype to come back for some, from some factory somewhere off, way off, you can actually do it in front of your... So taking that thing and then finding a market for it and then starting manufacturing, that's what's going to happen here in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. So we're, because our space is affordable, you can actually take a large space you can actually lease 10,000 square feet for an affordable amount. So it's the difference between paying $8,000 a month for a 10,000 square foot space that will give you a fairly good sized manufacturing line or paying 60000 in San Francisco or Palo Alto. Why would you do that? You don't need to be close to that. And the chances are our labor pool is going to be much more suited for training to do that kind of manufacturing as well. So mm-hmm. we, have UC, we have UC Berkeley. We have a number of other community colleges. We have Cal State East Bay um, in terms of the colleges. So we certainly are not short of the kind of educational, um, high-end education um, assets that other communities have. For whatever reason, UC Berkeley was not part of the whole Stanford turning technology into business tech transfer, but it's starting to catch on now. So as the companies graduate from UC Berkeley, we need to make sure they stay in the East Bay mm-hmm. and they don't feel the need to go over to San Francisco. Or they will do like Alphabet Energy did, grad- graduating, Clean Tech Open winner, graduated, their owners thought, oh, this would be so cool to be in San Francisco. That lasted for about a year before they realized, oh, this is not working, and they moved to a warehouse. In, in Hayward, and mm-hmm. now they're manufacturing their prototypes over there. It's not going to work. We're a different kind. So the makers, the maker movement, which is just really starting to get underway, I believe that's what we are going to excel in in the East Bay, and it's going to be tied to the 10-gig fiber optic network, and so who knows what will happen with that. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it safe to say that... Um, if 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 we were both creative and collaborative as a region, that folks could figure out a way to marry the two very nicely in areas such as <clears throat> telemedicine uh, or or the medical industry in general. Because I mean, there's a lot that happens on the research side that's facilitated by uh, a gigabit network. There's a lot that's facilitated on the software development and services development side, you know, based on on a gigabit. But at the same time, you often have to make something after all this is over. I mean, you know, the next generation uh, heart pumps and the next generation uh, monitoring devices uh, that link or integrate with your iPad or your iPhone or whatever. And um, so so do you see the potential for that? I mean, are there at least signs that maybe – uh, you know, folks from the Valley and folks from San Francisco uh, are, are, are interested and willing to make those kinds of bridges because we have been somewhat isolated. You know, the Valley has been the Valley and the city is the city, which is kind of interesting. That 
for folks outside of the Bay Area, when, when folks say we're going to the city, you know, we're going to San Francisco, not to, you know, it's, it is what it is. But but is that right. going to break down, you know, and become more of a, you know, we the region? Well, the it's interesting because the the White House is actually counting on it, and San Leander is a partner in something called U.S. Ignite. Uh, and yeah. the reason we're most fascinated with that is because of the possibilities of just what you were talking about. So the collaborations across vast distances of space around medical, so storing data, and yet having scientists be able to pull and manipulate this data and collaborate with each other um, real time. I mean, you need you need to have fast speed in order to be able to do that. Um, and also advanced manufacturing. So we actually had a team from San Francisco, I mean, from San Leandro, um, collaborate and enter Mozilla Ignite. So Mozilla, most of you know, is Firefox, your Firefox search engine. Uh, Mozilla actually partnered with US Ignite to put together a competition, and the competition is to build apps from the future is the way they put it. So design and build apps for the smarter, faster, smarter Internet of the future. And San Leandro's um, submission was literally how to be able to con- demonstrate how to be able to control machinery from a long distance away. So this kind of calls to to question, well, why would you do that? Well, picture a company where it felt its headquarters really needed to be in San Francisco for whatever reason, networking, or it needed to be someplace else. But they wanted to put their manufacturing site in a site where it was more affordable, where it made made more sense in a manufacturing site such as San Leandro. Well, off-site, they would literally be able to operate the machinery if they needed to from somewhere a long distance away because of the fast fiber without any latency. So that as the packets of information are moving through, there's no interruptions. It's literally seamlessly, boom, it's like you're right there operating the machinery even though you're a thousand miles away as if you were right there. So that's actually the future as even the White House sees it as the, so US Ignite which is a partnership that consists of universities and cities and other organizations from across the country and Mozilla Ignite Mozilla is a big part of this and uh actually our app was one of the winners one of five winners of the of the whole competition. So they're seeing the same things that we are, mm-hmm. that um, that we can complement this growing move towards production, return to production. We're not going to make tchotchke production like they do in India or, or in China. But what we're going to do is focus on production that's around innovation. Mm-hmm. And I see the medical industry is definitely a big part of that. Let's talk about uh, wireless here for a quick second. I, you know, you've been traveling all day, so you may not have heard, but Google just basically is you know, is giving uh, San Francisco $600,000 to build free Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> take two, free Wi-Fi in uh, this whole long list of uh, parks in, in San Francisco. And yeah, I read about that this morning. Yes, and so they are doing this kind of wireless dabbling thing uh, in a number of other cities as well, actually other countries. Um, 
is there any thought given to how wireless might play into Litz and Leandro? You betcha. (laughs) (laughs) Why does that not surprise you, right? So (laughs) we actually are now working, again, through the power of connections, right? So um, OSI Soft, which has, you know, their employees have uh, outreach everywhere, actually brought in an entrepreneur who actually worked with Google years ago on its first attempt to do Wi-Fi in San Francisco. That didn't it didn't go well. It was a it actually it failed. So yeah, so Jazz Banga and he he came in here last week and he was he had said he said that prior to meeting Dr. Kennedy, he was absolutely convinced that wireless in cities was never uh, going to work. It was never going to happen because cities couldn't effectively uh, manage it, and it, it, it free ultimately is never free. Mm, so even exactly. with Google's, like free is never free. Um, but after talking to Dr. Kennedy and J- Jazz is a, a serial entrepreneur many times over, um, he is now excited and reengaged with us and wants to create a replicable model for. Free and you can see me. I'm doing the quotes. Free mm. um, Wi-Fi that's actually funded through advertising. So think of Pandora. What Pandora? For those of you listeners who listen to Pandora Radio, you have the option of paying $35 a year and you are uninterrupted by commercials, or you just patiently off to the side. Commercials that are targeted at your demographic age group and whatever um, is comes through and, you, and you're, you're, you're part of that whole conversation or that business conversation, but very targeted. So we're talking about the same thing here and building a business model that allows local businesses to actually engage with people who are locally on the Wi-Fi net, but allowing people to, to really do um, have access to free wireless uh, that that really makes sense. Those security issues, all that still have to be dealt with, but we're actually very, very interested in that and realize that it's a, it's got to be a huge part. So we're excited now. We think we may have a, a, an opportunity to do it and don't have to worry about whether it's Google or not, somebody who's already worked with Google. Right. And I think it should be pointed out to uh, the audience that, um, you know, there were a lot of problems with municipal Wi-Fi, but probably unbeknownst to most people, unless they're truly devout listeners to this show. Um, I had uh, the person from Chattanooga who one of their projects was to take the fiber network and integrate it with wireless hot, uh, with wireless uh, access points, and they have created a 16 megabit symmetrical wireless network over the city. And it basically comes from, you know, every I think every three access points goes to a fiber cable, which goes into their gig network. Now, part of the reason right. they're able to do this, you know, effectively is because they've already built out the infrastructure. So they weren't starting from scratch, as were a lot of these Muni Wi-Fi projects. Then um, they 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 basically cost justified it by use by all the mobile government workers. And in fact, the network is used not only by uh, the local government, which has come up with at least a couple of hundred, I mean, no exaggeration, a couple of hundred different applications for the wireless network. Um, it's also used by in, uh, you know, in-building office folks. They, they, they found, you know, applications that it made sense to use the wireless network versus um, the, the wired part of that. 
So it is the integration of the two, yeah. starting with the fact that a, wire, a wired network was the foundation and already in place, has allowed them to do that extension and to create a, a Wi-Fi network at tremendous speed capacity without a lot of the operational issues that came with the um, with the uh, with the original Muni Wi-Fi networks back when Google first promised San Francisco one of them, and their their only question at this point is trying to figure out, you know, is there a business case and do they want to be in the business of selling wireless services? But I think that you know, given that they have shown you know a way forward, that this idea that you have for San Leandro is not off the mark and people, you know, that are listening to this that might want to be skeptical at first may not want to be too skeptical. In my humble opinion. It, it all comes back right and it all comes back to having that uh wired um fiber in the ground because mm-hmm. they've tried, you know, the mesh networks and cities have tried everything, but unless it's connected down to the the fiber, it it it, it won't it won't ultimately be successful. So uh, so we're going to we're willing to experiment with it, and you know we're very interested to see that Google made the announcement this morning. We'll see mm-hmm. San Francisco, but we're, most of us are not San Francisco. Most of us are not going to get this offer. So right. for those of us those of us that are not San Francisco, we have to figure out a different way to do it. And uh, public private partnerships are uh, absolutely increasingly in, a, in an era of no redevelopment funds. The way mm-hmm. we're going to be looking at it. Right, exactly. So we've got about two minutes, and so I'd like to just close with, you know, what's your advice to your peers, you know, your peer cities, small towns, big towns, whatever. How do you create an environment of innovation that gets people's attention and gets people's enthusiasm? Two minutes. You have to, you have to activate places. This starts. It doesn't start with the technology. It actually starts about creating interesting places in your community, getting people to connect with each other in ways they haven't necessarily connected before, whether it's events, whether it's around a food focus, whatever it is, find, and again, it's that one thing that is really cool about your city and start to create events and a buzz around it. That's for second of all, take a look at your infrastructure and don't let anybody stop you and say, oh, we really can't do that. The new economy is about sharing and it's about taking things that in the past we might have looked at and said, I don't understand any connections there, but it's about connecting things in ways that you never would have guessed before and surrounding yourself by people who think out of the box. So if you only surround yourself by other city bureaucrats, yeah, you're never going to get anywhere with that. Um, (laughs) But if you go back to the community and say, you know what, let's all just put our skepticism to the side, bring it on home, what do we have here that's different from everyone else that we can, then I think that's a great place to begin. So in closing, it's about surrounding yourself with can-do people as opposed to just people. (laughs) That's, That's number one. Number All one. right. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. This has been a great conversation. I want to thank you, Deb, for taking time out of your crazy day 
to uh, to talk with me and and to our audience about what's going on with San Leandro. And yes, I will see you in a couple of days. So you know, I'll just, see you in a couple of days, Craig. Looking forward to it. And thank you. And thanks to all your listeners out there. Excellent. Take care. And I want to thank our listeners for being here. Uh, you know, we're going to be back tomorrow talking to folks actually in Chattanooga from uh, on top of application development. So join us tomorrow. We'll have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye.